Good afternoon. This is Chickie Fitzgerald with the Executive Girlfriends Group. It's Friday, April 1st, and uh, this is not April Fool's Day. Uh, it's actually uh, a, a day when we are going to celebrate the purpose-linked organization, and our guest today is author Elena Love. Elena, welcome. Thank you so much. A pleasure to be with you today. Elena, can you give us a little bit about your background? Oh, well, I've had uh, quite a varied and interesting career that's led me to the work that I'm doing right now. I initially uh, started out working for a pharmaceutical company doing research in uh, diseases that modulate immune responses or products that modulate immune responses in diseases like lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. I did clinical research on the over-the-counter uh, drug that's now known as Pepsid at the time when it was a prescription medicine. And then I moved into human resources, uh, overseeing HR worldwide for the organization. And my client group consisted of about 15,000 people worldwide. They generated about $12.5 billion in sales. And uh, through that 12-year experience of being with that company, I found myself um, as an executive director in the succession plan to be the vice president of human resources, the only woman ever to have uh, achieved that level and that function and the only person of color, and was invited to my boss's office one day and was given that news, which should have resulted in me feeling really excited. Um, but I walked out of that meeting and I thought to myself, something doesn't feel quite right, and I didn't know what it was. And I walked into my office, closed the door, and I sat down and tried to get in touch with what it was I was feeling. And the words came into my head, oh, my God, I don't want that job. And I shocked myself because I thought I had been working all of those years to achieve that goal and began to realize that the higher up in the organization I moved, the more distant I became from what I thought my purpose was and what my passions were. So I put a stake in the ground and gave myself one year to make a decision about what I was going to do with my life. And some 11 and a half months later, I made the decision to leave and start my own consulting firm. And that's wow. really just been sort of the beginning of the journey that's led me to doing work around purpose and passion, really through my own experiences. Well, the tagline of your book is how passionate leaders inspire winning teams uh, and great results. Mm -hmm. And we've just come off of a, a, a large travel industry conference here in Las Vegas called TravelCom. And we held a, a session uh, which is uh, held every year at this particular conference called the Executive Women's Forum. And it's so funny that you should share that story. Uh, and I didn't know that about you. Um, but we had a number of case studies that we did uh, in this afternoon session of people just telling telling their story and then kind of stopping at a point and having other people chime in on how they would advise them. Mm -hmm. you know. And I can just envision you telling that same story and getting to that place where you walk out the door and, and do you go and, and celebrate with a glass of champagne or walk in your office and say, oh, no. <laughs> so... Um, very, very interesting. Well, I'd like to um, to walk a little bit through uh, the outline of your book, and and you know this is generally how we structure uh, the Executive Girlfriends Group interviews on Fridays because one of the things that I like to do is to recommend books that will help our uh, our members grow, mm -hmm. and 
uh, we talk about leadership and we talk about growth and we talk about marketing. And, you know, I think this particular topic, uh, and even though it is about leadership, it really is about purpose and passion. And so if if you will just indulge me, uh, and, and if we can just walk through essentially the table of contents of your book, and if you can just give us a little bit of the, the thumbnail uh, of each of the chapters. And, and one of the things I'd like to ask, though, before we dive into that, is, is uh, tell us a little bit about the book and, and how you got to the point where you wanted to put this message into print and to share it with others and, and the approach you took in writing it. Absolutely. Well, the process really started with the experience that I just shared with you, uh, coming to understand that despite the fact that this company had invested a significant amount of time, effort, and money into developing me, and I in turn had given a good portion of my life to the organization, it became clear to me after some time that I was not in the right place. I was not living my purpose. I was not what I would call doing who I am rather than trying to be what I do. Mm. And I walked out of that organization and I thought about what led me to that conclusion uh, for a very long time. And I also thought, as an HR professional, what could the organization have done differently that would have made the decision that I made never happen for someone who is deemed to be a high-potential individual that the company saw succeeding to higher levels of responsibility? And for about, oh, gee, a good seven or eight years, I carried that thought around with me. It was like this nagging stone in my shoe (laughs) that made me um, really ponder that question for quite some time. And And then I decided, well, you know, perhaps I'm not as crazy as people think I am. Maybe there are other people out there who are like me who are feeling this sense of restlessness about, their career, about the their oh-so-carefully-planned future. And I decided, um, with uh, you know, a dress book in hand, to uh, put together a list of high-potential individuals with whom I could uh, discuss this topic, who would be willing to be candid and really share their experiences with me. And that ended up... Uh, sort of ballooning into a hundred different uh, executive level people across 14 industry segments who spent anywhere from two to three hours with me on the telephone in a structured interview process sharing their perspectives with me about their own development. And the most shocking part of the discussion for me, and, and at the same time the most affirming, was that all of them talked about the different development experiences they'd had in their careers, good bosses and bad, and I asked them the question, during any of the career discussions you've ever had, did anyone ever ask you what you thought your purpose was or what you were passionate about? And 100% of them said no, which for me was really revealing, shocking, and pointed in the direction of a very big gaping hole that existed in the way in which organizations went about developing people and understanding the talent that they were bringing into the organization. And it also suggested to me that there's this huge area of potential for individuals and for organizations to to fuse a a better connection between um, who the person is and what you're asking them to do every day. And, And isn't it just magic when we're doing what we love? Because that's when tremendous discretionary effort is given to the work that we do. That's when 
the sense of fulfillment that we get from what we are doing is lasting and is meaningful. And believe me, it outshines any new car, any pair of Manolo Blahniks you can buy. I mean, it, it just means everything when we, we're loving what we do because then it's not work. You know, then it's an expression of who we are. Exactly. So that, that, that kind of really led me on the journey to, to um, writing this book. Um, the, the gifts that each of those individuals who were candid enough to speak with me about their own feelings um, led me to understand that there's a real need for this work out there. There was a yearning um, for uh, among people to really have an opportunity to voice this desire that they had to really have their lives and their work be one, be meaningful. You know, we spend more than 84,000 hours of our lives at work. Now, that's a staggering amount of time. And it's an even, even more significant amount of time to spend doing something we don't love. Absolutely. Well, I think you've answered uh, uh, the first question in Part 1, which is about purpose and passion and why purpose and passion matter. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the the next thing kind of leads into uh, the notion that everyone has a passion profile. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that before we dig into the individual passion profile. Well, that's really um, that was sort of the aha moment, you know, that blink moment that you have when you know this is the conduit to helping this work become part of the dialogue of organizations. I was sitting and really thinking about this notion of purpose and. We all inherently know it's important to uh, feel like we're living our purpose. We all know if we're leaders that it's important to tap into the purpose of the people who are working for us. But the tough question is, how do you do that? How do you identify it? This is sort of that, that very sort of esoteric concept of purpose. And I remember thinking about it uh, in, intently for some long period of time, and one day it became very clear to me that the passions that people exhibit are actually the outward manifestation of the purpose that they carry. You know, if you could trace those passions back to their origin, deeply seated within them is the purpose of that individual. And so we really understand that people do come into the world with a purpose and they come into the world with a set of passions. And based on experience and opportunity, those passions get a chance to be awakened and put to work. So what I decided to do was actually figure out whether there was a way to to measure that, to identify and measure those passions. And we began to think about uh, all of the different ways in which individuals demonstrate passion in the work environment and decided to codify them into 10 different what we call archetypes of passion. And I wrote extensively for a long period of time about each of those archetypes to really flesh out, you know, who are who are these archetypes? How do they show up? How would you lead and manage them? What are their strengths and their vulnerabilities? Um, how do they interact uh, with other individuals with other passions that are different than their own, et cetera? And I worked with a team of researchers from the University of Michigan. It was a multidisciplinary team um, from uh, the School of Business and the School of Education. And we structured a survey that is actually able to identify and measure how individuals score against those 10 archetypes of passion. So in, in 
I'm already, of course, jumping ahead and looking through them, and, and I can see that, that actually a couple of them apply to me. Mm-hmm. So do people typically have a primary and a secondary, or do they kind of straddle more than one, or do they actually embody different ones at different times in their careers? Well, we actually believe that individuals, if you were to examine them from the perspective of their passions, really show up with a passion archetype cluster. Um, by that we mean that you know they're the top three passions that kind of guide their behaviors, guide what motivates them. The, and, and I really think of passion as the, the energy that the person exhibits. So I don't believe people are one thing. I believe they're a mosaic of things. And it is true that at different times during your life, uh, one passion might sort of be moving to the front of the line and the other other passions in the in the cluster might take you know a secondary role, but by and large, people um, demonstrate um, through their behaviors and through what um, excites them and makes them want to get up in the morning a, a propensity and affinity for um, their top three passions. And I tell people, don't worry about so much about what's one, two, or three for you. Just understand how that cluster of passions works together to help you show up in the way that you do. Well, so let's talk through them a little bit. And, um, you know, I am I am very definitely a, uh, a builder, which is, is the first one of the archetypes. Uh-huh. Um, what, what are the, the different things about a builder that, that demonstrates, uh, you know, what, what's the passion that's driving the builder? Sure. Well, build, builders are, are individuals that really love an open landscape and a goal and do not draw the blueprint for them. They will figure out how to get to that goal and they will work relentlessly towards it. So they love uncharted territory. And what they need most is the freedom to create uh, their own blueprint for achieving objectives, and they will drive towards that goal, as I said, sometimes not recognizing that there are a few landmines in the way um, that they might want to avoid. Um, they are extremely determined, so they're on the bus and they're leaving the station and you're either on with them or you're going to be left standing there. But builders inside organizations, inside businesses, are people that make things happen. They're not afraid of the fact that it's never been done before. In fact, that's a turn-on. That's exciting. That's what makes it you know, all to play for for them. And so how do they differ then from the second one, which is the conceiver? The con- conceivers are what we call kind of the intellectual acrobats of any organization or team. They are individuals who really love playing in the space of ideas. They love to push push the edges of the envelope, and in, in fact, for them, you know, there may not even be an envelope. They're likely to be ones with crazy ideas that end up contributing to breakthrough products or services or processes or strategies. Um, they tend to have very expansive thought patterns, so they can sometimes resolve challenges while the rest of us are still grappling to understand what the question is. So very much um, minds working like spider diagrams going from point A to point Z, back to D, over to F, and the rest of us are sort of linearly trying to walk through A, B, C, D and figure out what the issues are. So conceivers um, a lot of times will show up in organizations as people, as I said, who who are perceived to have crazy ideas, but when the rest of you 
kind of take a step back and really think about it, you realize maybe this isn't so crazy. Maybe it's just really brilliant. Compare them to, for example, to people who are connectors, which is uh, another archetype that we describe. Um, These are individuals who really are passionate about communicating, about negotiating, about building bridges between people and needs that those individuals have or between problems and solutions. Um, They're really the architects of relationships. Um, They tend to seek common ground um, through which issues can be resolved and individuals brought together. So you'll see them show up a lot of times in in a way in which you almost can't tell the difference between their um, personal address book and their work address book because connectors kind of are famous for, for bringing people together uh, you know, across all uh, platforms in their lives. Uh, I, I resemble that remark. You resemble that. <laughs> it's I interesting. Do, I do, and, and there is very little uh, difference in my address book, at least not with the women in my life. Maybe more so the next one, um, you know, again, I think that there, there are some interesting um, synergies between these, and I can see them already emerging. So mm-hmm. the next one is the creator. So, so how is is the creator the one that takes the conceiver's stuff and actually makes them happen? Actually, no. What's interesting is the creator is an indi- or, or individuals who are like the great masters. They really enjoy taking concepts that they have in their minds and translating them into a form that can be shared with others, that others can appreciate. So they focus intently on the aesthetic. They look for beauty and functionality in whatever it is they're manifesting through their work. So they're kind of the artisans of an organization. These are the people that are going to come up with great uh, marketing campaigns because they're really going to see what that needs to be in terms of its visuals and its, and its appeal to emotion. Almost everything people who are creators do is designed to touch you emotionally and to have you experience what they're experiencing when that concept is floating around inside their head. So if they look through the lens of a camera, you were talking about DeWitt Jones being at your conference, for example. DeWitt is a, is a creator. He looks through the lens of that camera, and there's something that moves him, and he wants to capture that in the photograph that he takes and presents to you. Great painters do that, writers, um, people who do dance, to do film. It shows up in all different kinds of ways, but it really is about the aesthetic, it's about beauty, and it's about touching you emotionally. And so take us into the next one, the discoverer. Discoverers. Discoverers are the explorers. They know that the answer is out there somewhere if only they lift up enough rocks and look under it. They are absolutely relentless in pursuing that answer, and they like to enjoy, uh, they enjoy designing experiments or, uh, or approaches that will help them to uncover a hidden truth. Um, and they're often um, innovators who enjoy uh, solving uh, challenging puzzles. So you can sometimes see people who have a discoverer archetype show up as a, an investigative reporter, or maybe they'll be a detective, or maybe they'll be in forensic medicine uh, or scientists. Um, they show up in lots of different ways, but that's a real driver for them, getting to the truth. The next is, is there ever enough information for them to feel like they've actually discovered? Well, what's interesting about, and that's a great question, because what's interesting about that archetype 
is that there are times when, for the discoverer, um, the the exploration is the turn-on, and there are times when they have to be encouraged to um, to stop looking, to accept that what they have found is enough, to right. allow them to move on to the next thing, or to to allow the organization to move on to the next level. Because so do you marry them with the next archetype, which is the processor? <laughs> processors are terrific and, and, and very important in an organization because what processors end up doing is sifting through information and data to see what it reveals, and then they're able to anticipate what course corrections are needed based on their interpretation of the information. So they tend to save the organization and, and themselves a lot of mistakes. They're, they're analytical. They like to... Um, be, be quality oriented. They like systems, um, so they'll take the kind of things that are coming out of the minds of creators, for example, or that or the things that discoverers are discovering, and, and they'll say to themselves, "Okay, how do we package this in a format that's useful?" So taking something that's sort of very broad and very um, out there, and kind of funneling it down into um, the nuggets of information or the systems that are necessary in order to make that work useful, in order to make that information useful. So they play a very important role in what we call the, the passion-driven knowledge cycle because they really are about processing knowledge, processing information in a way that makes it utilizable um, and, and ac actionable. And they um, are often in an organization um, thought to be the individuals who are the, the I'm going to say no individuals, you know, no, you can't have more money or no, there aren't more resources <laughs> because they really are, you know, counting the counting the dollars and making sure that, you know, we've, we've got what we need to make all of this happen or looking at the quality of what's being uh, produced and making sure it, reach, it reaches a certain standard. Um, but without them, uh, we get into a heck of a lot of trouble, especially those of us who are builders as a passion because, right. you know, we can run right through the budget pretty quickly. Going to that <laughs> I know that story. So, so then you've got the transformer. So hopefully, uh, you know, again, I, it seems as we're talking through this from the corporate perspective that you know uh, organizations really need to understand, you know, who has each of these passions because positioned properly, they can really work very well together. So the the transformer is the next. Uh, of the archetypes, transformers are really the um, the artisans of change in an, or an organization. They thrive in change and chaos. They they like to identify uh, and embrace possibilities for improvement in a business, for example, uh, in the environment or in other people, um, and go after making those changes. Um, they tend to become bored when things are uh, the same for too long. So even if it's not broken, they might break it. Uh, just so we can do something different. Um, what's great about people who have that archetype is they're really great at getting others on board with the new direction. The transformers will sort of say, look, you know, this is really cool what we're going to do now and how we're going to change things up and how much better it's going to be. You know, here's, here's a role you can play in this. Come on, get on board with us. Uh, so these are individuals over the last few years who've had a lot of work to do. Because we've been, as you well know, economically and in other ways, living it through a lot of change and chaos. But individuals who have that archetype thrive in it rather than run away from it. So they, they really are, like the builder, an archetype of action 
in the organization. They're always trying to figure out um, how do we change, improve, grow, and transform the business. So the next one I'm having a little trouble seeing how it fits or where it fits, which is the altruist. Mm -hmm. Well, I think altruist fits quite well if we stop up for a moment and think about it because those are individuals who have a strong passion for doing work that benefits society or contributes to the higher good of the organization. So they tend to act as the company's moral compass. Ah. The altruists are going to challenge the organization to make decisions that positively impact the world. So they're not going to just ask, is this legal? You know, what we're thinking about doing, is it legal? They're going to ask, is it morally correct? And if it's not, they're going to push back. And if the organization continues to pursue that path, they're going to be the ones to become the most um, quickly disenfranchised. So altruists really push organizations to hold themselves to a higher standard. And, you know, gee, if we think back on a few organizations that we've read about in the news over the last few years, don't we wish the altruists in those organizations had more of a voice? Because I think very different decisions would have been made. Right, right. So the next one is the healer. The healer. Healers are um, just an amazing, amazing archetype because they're individuals who take personal responsibility for helping others navigate through their pain to get to a better place. Um, they can, they're usually found working behind the scenes in an organization, offering advice and counsel to coworkers. You also see them, in, of course, in traditional healthcare roles, but I can tell you from experience that not everybody in healthcare is what I would call a healer. Um, right. I think all of us have had that experience. Um, but healers in organizations are likely to be the first people to identify dysfunction in the organization or on a team and they're likely to be the first ones to try to step forward uh, with a remedy. Um, it's an archetype that carries a lot um, because it's the net export of energy for, from, for somebody with that archetype is always out to others. It's always a net export out of giving. And as a consequence, people who carry that archetype can become uh, burned out um, because right. they, they tend to emit an energy that says, I'll listen to your problems, I'll help you with them, come to me, and they are almost like Velcro um, walking through a cotton field. <laughs> Everything's sticking to them. And if they're not careful um, to sort of set some boundaries up, they can very quickly become overwhelmed with trying to help others with their problems. And in organizations are often not valued as much uh, for what they are accomplishing because so much of it is behind the scenes. They don't, they don't run around telling everybody, oh, I helped Joe and Mary and Sue solve their problem today. Right, but, but they, uh, this would be a typical archetype for, for a supervisor and a manager, or at least a good one, right? Well, you would hope that a good manager has that in them. Um, many of them don't. Um, but I always tell people who are managing people who are, are healers as an archetype, you have to be the healer for the healer which means when it's time for them to take their vacation, make them go. Tell them to right. leave their BlackBerry at the office. They don't need to call in every day to see if everybody's okay. <laughs> make them take time for themselves. So the last one on the list I think we haven't talked about is the teacher. Right. And, uh, and teachers show up just as you would think they would in, would in very traditional roles as teachers. Um, but inside organizations, they're individuals who really promote learning, um, they're avid seekers of knowledge. 
for them, you know, part of the joy of what they do is not just sharing information that they have or that or, or things that they know with others, but really watching as that information, as that knowledge gets transformed when it's put through the filters in your brain. So if I were to share something with you that I knew how to do or that uh, a subject that I knew something about, and you and I got involved in a conversation about that subject, as you began to process the information, you change it. And what comes out of your mouth becomes new information and new learning for me. And if I'm the teacher, boy, do I love that. So there, there are folks who can be counted on to help others develop and to translate um, new information and knowledge in ways that make it understandable so that um, uh, others can do something with it. And they tend to be people who really want to share their expertise. So they're, they're great mentors. They're great at taking people under their wing and helping them develop. So, Elena, I, the million-dollar question is, um, is, is the instrument um, something that individuals can take? Is it better administered within an organization? Um, you know, if, if I just read through the book, am I going to be able to figure it out, or, or is there a way, uh, you know, that, uh, again, that individuals can, can take this instrument and figure out what their cluster and mosaic are? Well, yes, there is a way. Um, in fact, we do this work extensively with organizations, with uh, with leaders and with their teams. And when we do it with organizations, um, we offer them access to the to the Passion Profiler, and we produce um, a very extensive 25-page analysis of that individual, which looks at not only the passions that they carry, but the passions that they're actually using in the work environment. Uh, we look at how an individual um, thinks and reflects contemplatively and uses that knowledge to make meaning and shape their way forward in their life. We look at their affiliation to their organization. Um, so that's a very extensive uh, uh, piece of work that we do when we work with a client. But we wanted to make this available to individuals as well. We cannot make the 25-page the report available, but right, we wanted people to be able to determine with accuracy, not by guessing, what their true archetype cluster is. So along with the book, we offer um, a, a, a code um, inside the jacket of the book that allows individuals to go online and take the Passion Profiler tool. And they will receive a one-page document that helps them to understand what their top three archetypes are in their cluster, and then they can read uh, about those archetypes in the book. Because what's good about the book not, is not only do we uh, talk about each of these archetypes in depth in the book, but we also have a story of someone uh, relatively uh, uh, well-known and accomplished that represents that particular archetype. So you can get a, a feel for what, what does that archetype look like when it's in action and how, how did it show up for this particular individual and what are the ways in which they use their passion. So that tends to make it real for people. Well, that is just uh, wonderful, and we will uh, make sure that the book is available for sale on the Executive Girlfriends Group bookstore, which uh, for anyone who has uh, an Executive Girlfriends Group membership, they can get to that from the homepage of our private website. And Elena, uh, we always extend an invitation to our speaker uh, to that private uh, networking uh, site that we have for the Executive Girlfriends Group and, and would love 
to extend an invitation to you to just join us any time that you would like on a Friday afternoon if you need uh, a little bit of recharging. Um, And I I just so appreciate you taking the time this afternoon. Again, the book is called The Purpose-Linked Organization, How Passionate Leaders Inspire Winning Teams and Great Results. And the last part of the book, uh, Elena, is takes you through putting purpose and passion to work. Yeah. And uh, so just in closing, Elena, can can you just kind of give us a snapshot of of what the reader would uh, be taken through at the end uh, of that whole process of learning about the different archetypes? Yeah, so learn about the different archetypes. And the real the, the next real challenge is, you know, what what is this journey to, to purpose and passion for me? And how do I begin to take that journey? So there, are, there is a chapter that's really designed to look at that issue and help people understand that it's an individual quest that each of us is on to really understand our purpose. And by the way, it's a lifelong process. There is no add water and stir here. You will be on this journey forever and, and hopefully in, enjoy being on that journey and, and learning each and every step of the way. But we provide um, some tips for how to prepare yourself for it, um, for some information about what some of the key ingredients might be to really um, accessing your purpose and passion. Um, And there's a a four-step process that we call PREP, which includes being present and open, reflecting and partner, examining uh, your past uh, and your present for signs of purpose and passion, and being persistent, um, which is absolutely essential because it's a journey. It's filled with twists and turns, occasionally some dead ends. Um, but if you can look at those challenges as a learning experience, it'll, it'll enrich the journey and inform your thinking. So persistence, then, is a strong ally um, in what I feel is a lifelong process of living authentically. Well, Elena, I hope you have a wonderful warm weekend. <laughs> you uh, find some place to curl up uh, until the weather gets a little bit warmer uh, in your part of the country. Uh, I uh, apologize for a little bit of the noise in the background. We are on our way to the airport in Las Vegas, and uh, Las Vegas is never a dull moment. So it we've sounds, got uh, ambulances like and police cars <laughs> and all kinds of crazy things. But uh, again, just thank you so much for taking the time. Um, The book had uh, just come before I left, and I I, uh, uh, had forgotten to throw it in my bag. So uh, I am so looking forward to digging into it and uh, uh, figuring out my mosaic. So I just uh, wish you a terrific afternoon. And, uh, again, we will be posting this on Blog Talk Radio and also onto our iTunes channel uh, so that you can share it with your network as well. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and with everyone in your organization. And I um, wish you uh, joy in the journey to living those passions. Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Take care now. Have a great weekend. All right, great. And uh, the public site for the Executive Girlfriends Group is www.executivegirlfriendsgroup.com. And I am going to go ahead and turn off the recording because what? said on the rest of the egg call stays on the rest of the egg call. <laughs> I can get back to my there we go.